New York City's Metropolitan Transit Authority carries millions of people a day, and their lost and found department is vast. I'm all, among all the curious things left behind are these, someone's partial dentures. <laughs> also, you'll find in their lost and found department some 3,000 keys, uh, 22,000 debit cards, 27,000 wallets and phones, cell phones, some 30,000 of them. There are a lot of irresponsible New York City people. Uh, studies show that the average American spends about two and a half days a year looking for lost things. And they spend about $2.7 billion in replacement, replacement costs. Now, I got one better. We are worshiping a God today that seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year is looking for lost people. That comes at a higher price, of course, the price, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's nothing, nothing that heaven celebrates more than when lost people are found, when dead people are made alive again. Losers are weepers, and finders are keepers, and they are also rejoicers. As we see in our text today, the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all together around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully till she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now last week, Luke laid out the foundation for all of this. If we miss verses 1 and 2, Luke's in Mexico, by the way, making me preach four times today. Anyway, from, he's, he's with our mission partners along with Riley Weaver today, and he's preaching. He's probably done by now in uh, Mexico, but um, they'll, they'll be returning tomorrow. He'll be back this week. Now, the context was well laid out that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are looking at the people that Jesus is hanging out with, and they don't like it. They're not religious kind of people like themselves. They're people that, that are, are, the, are the types of people that good people shouldn't be with, tax collectors, dirty rotten scoundrels, people who take people for a ride financially, immoral people. And the Pharisees had a community of their own, and they didn't like this faith community that Jesus is setting up. And so with this in mind, they do their best to explain Jesus away. He can't be God's son, or he wouldn't be hanging out with this crowd. And that's why even when they saw his miracles being performed, they saw in front of their eyes, they just said, ah, that must be the devil working in him, because we see who he hangs around with. There are a lot of things that we study about God. The Bible 
is God revealing himself. This is what the Bible is. This is not our journey for God. This is God's journey for us. He is revealing himself. And so we study about God's power, his holiness, his love, his compassion, his wrath, his judgment, his salvation, all those things. But you cannot read chapter 15, the stories that Jesus told, and not be struck by our God being a God of joy. He's a God of joy. He's a God who celebrates people when they come to understand him. He is building a different kind of community. That's what Jesus' purpose was, a different kind of faith community than the world had ever known. We are still doing that today. I love in our new realm, and our new mypcc.info that we're still learning. I haven't gotten all figured out yet, but I'm, I'm practicing. So you go there. If you, if you swipe over to, I think it'll say, I forget what it says. It may say directory. If you do the drop-down menu, it says community. And I love that because that's what we are. We are a part of a faith community, this, a larger faith community, and this one, of course, with, with other believers around the world. But this is our particular faith community that we have among us that we enjoy. These Pharisees, teachers of the law, are dumbfounded. They don't like this community that Jesus is building, but that's what Jesus is doing. He's creating a different kind of community. So he, he tells stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and about lost sons. We are Christ's community. That's why this church, every church, that this church, we want to be a place of celebration when we come together. That's why we want energy in our worship. We are celebrating that we are not who we used to be. We're not everything God wants us to be, but we're not who we used to be. And we're in process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's why. We celebrate as a community saved by grace. Three times, he says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep, rejoice with me, I, I found my coin, and he says, there is great joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. Jesus himself is anxious for this, because when Jesus came, do you understand that Jesus has never lived in independence, ever? When he came to live among us, he came from community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead have always existed, three persons in one. That's a mystery to us, but they're three distinct personalities, persons in one person, one in purpose, one in nature, one in being, all of that. When he came among us, what did he do? He called people to be close to him, those 12 men to be near him as a community that he was teaching and training for when he would leave. And when he ascended to the Father, he went back to that sending community. That's why you can never be everything God wants you to be if you live in independence and think of, if you've just attended church, if you're saved, that that's good enough. It really isn't. We need one another to grow more deeply and to become who Christ wants us to be. What's a community? Here's one definition. A community is a group of individuals who've been bonded into a body through an intense common experience. Now, that can happen in a sports team. It can happen in a, uh, a theater that you perform and other kinds of arts. It can happen in the Chamber of Commerce or the Rotary Club. It, 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 it can happen through pains in your life. You know, we have six or eight care groups here, we call them, 
uh, people with shared scars or shared pains they're going through get together in small numbers. Immediately there's a bond because of shared experiences and hurts. Some of you have gained so much help by that taking that kind of journey with other people. Now, you hear us talk about life groups, and please hear me out. You think, what you hear, I think, is that life groups is a program of our church. It is that, but it's so much more because we believe that we cannot be who God wants us to be without other people in our lives, other imperfect people, other people who are still wrestling with temptation and sin, other people that are just trying to learn and learn of God and who he is. There are a lot of commonalities we share, but they become inconsequential next to the greater bond we have in Christ. And so the, that, that's why we want you to take us seriously, that understand when you're with a group of people, something happens. Now, we come here this morning, and what we're doing, we are celebrating, but it's a very vertical relationship. We are here focusing on God. He is worthy. We cannot share our lives together. Now, we will in conversations before and after church, talk among each other, but, 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 but that's not sufficient. Now, my life group that my wife and I lead, I mean, they were here with our Wednesday night. Some of you are sitting out there. They were there till 9.30, some of them, three and a half hours. I wanted to say, go home. It's time to go home. You know? <laughs> Just turn the lights out. I'm going to bed. It's my bedtime, you know. But, you know, the, really, we loved it because, you know, we're, we were studying the life of Elijah, and then these, these greater conversations either spill out, even spill out beyond that into the other life kinds of things. And if you're in a life group, I trust that's your experience. And that's where further sharpening happens as we talk about our lives together. I need that group of people. Do I know more than they do? Probably. But that's not what it's about. I wasn't bragging. Would you expect me to know a little more? Okay, I'm sorry. Jeesh. Don't come to my group, please. Uh, you know, but my point is, I think we feel like we have to know a certain amount or we have to be further along in our faith before we can ever be that close to it. If they find out how dumb I am or they found out what I struggle with, you know, I'm going to look like a lousy. Please leave that behind. We don't care. We don't care what your struggle is. We don't care how much you don't know, whatever it is. It's life together in Christ, and there's something that happens. We celebrate as a community also of shared identity. Now, every one of us has factors that address our identity, right? Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, young, old, uh, uh, white-collar, blue-collar, skilled worker, uh, high school graduate, PhD, we have all those kinds of folks uh, that make up Plainfield Christian Church. So we're all very different. And those factors join together to create in us self-image, our sense of self-worth, all of that. They're part of who we are. They make each of us distinctive from one another. And some of them have a greater influence on us than others. You know, I, I help lead uh, Stillwater's church on Saturday night in, in our son's absence for a while. And I tell you, I, I look at this crowd, and I love this crowd. I love this crowd, and I love that crowd. They're recovering alcoholics, and they're recovering addicts. And some of them are recipients of the ministry of Active Grace, people going through distressing times in their, in their lives, in their 
They're being helped to get back on their feet again by the ministry of Active Grace. There are, there are other kinds of people that come with all kinds of stories. And yet, there is this unusual spirit of unity because of Jesus Christ. Do you think I'd be hanging out with you if it weren't for Jesus? I mean, look at you. I mean, we're all quirky, aren't we? Aren't we a little bit off plumb, really? You know, and yet, what does Christ do? He brings us together. When Paul the Apostle was writing the first century uh, church, he wrote about the, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, which was a tremendous wall. I mean, they hated one another. They didn't have anything to do with each other. And when Jesus came and the, he rose from the dead, that became the message of the first century, and that dividing wall came down. And God created a new people out of the two. The two became one, a new kind of community. That's what happens in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of ways, a lot of ways we should have walls between us because of our differences. But we're here together because of this one person who, who, who rises above all of those and tears all those walls down and brings us together by the blood of his son. So Paul writes in Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, we, we don't... We don't Treat people like dogs and cats and just pointing them the way. Do these few religious things and you're going to be in. You're going to be saved. No, it's not obey them and you'll be fine. It's all about the gospel coming to us. It's like a shepherd going to find that sheep on a ledge or this woman who is frantically looking for this costly coin she has misplaced. And once we grasp that we were dead, that we were lost, it's not just a shot in the arm. It's not just a little boost for life. It's not just an inspirational moment. We were dead, and now we're alive. No wonder we come together to celebrate. His love is greater. His love is stronger. That's why we love to sing that. It's a truth. It's a truth. And so when we watch somebody be baptized into Christ, we were watching the dead be raised again. This shepherd cannot stop until he finds the sheep. This woman can't stop searching until she sees, finds the coin. And this father cannot stop waiting on the front porch for that son to come down the road and come back home where he needs to be. And this is the joy factor. This is the joy, the factor that rises above every other joy in our lives. That's what it does. You see, what if, you, if you don't have this joy, go back to all these factors, all right? Let's take Jesus out of the picture. So you have, we have these distinctives, like where we went to, where we went to school, where we grew up, uh, how much money our parents had, what car we drive, the job that we have, the talents we have, uh, what we look like, our appearance, all those factors. You take Jesus out of the picture, and all those factors create a spirit of superiority. And we start valuing people based upon all those distinctive factors when Jesus comes in those factors don't mean anything. They don't mean nearly as much as, as, as before. Now, Jesus tops all of them, and he unites us together. That's the beauty of the family of God and being in this community of faith. I was infinitely lost, but I was also infinitely loved and brought into this family of faith. That's your story as well if you've been born again.
And so we also celebrate then as a community of chiseled people, I'll say. Chiseled people. What's that mean? Well, you go back to 1 Kings chapter 6. Solomon is building God's temple in Jerusalem to honor him and worship him. And it was a glorious building. But the Bible says no hammers or chisels could be heard in the Temple Mount area. Why? Because back at the quarry, all that was being done. And these massive stones were being shaped perfectly and then brought to the temple site. And in silence, that temple for God was put together. Now, the end of Ephesians chapter 2 says this. In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too were being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So when we're baptized into Christ, the Bible promises that's when we get the Holy Spirit. But then he's also teaching here that when we come together, there's a different kind of experience with the Holy Spirit we have as God's temple. Collectively, we are being built together as this holy temple for God. Now, if, you, if you've been to the, what I mean by been to the quarry, have you been to the quarry? What I mean by being to the quarry is God has brought you from death to life. And the moment he brings you from death to life, you're ready to be a part of his holy temple that he's building, his church, his kingdom. That's what this is all about. You fit. There's a part for you. There's a bond. All other factors take a backseat. Now, I'm an, an old white guy. I'm an American. And yet I have found that when I traveled, when I was last month when I was in the country of Georgia, you know, it was a strange country, never been there before, strange sights, uh, different kinds of food. You know, for breakfast I had rice with sugar and pumpkin. Doesn't that sound tasty? Uh, actually, it was. It was just different, right? Um, I didn't speak their language. I didn't know what they were talking about at the table. Uh, I, 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 their, their, their habits were different at the table. It was all different. But I tell you, I wasn't there 10 minutes before we had a bond together because of Jesus. He does that. He takes us so different from one another, and he puts us together in unusual ways. See, if, you, if you're living your life as a Christian, there's no greater unity that comes with people than this way. It, 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 it has to be your passion above your political choice, above your vocation, above your training, above any relationship in your life. It's got to be your central passion. And if it's not, there's something out of quilt. I would say you haven't been to the quarry yet. It's in the quarry that God makes you his. And then you're put into the temple. We are Christ's followers first and foremost above all other things. Well, what are we to do? Three things. First, light a lamp. This woman shines a light to find this lost coin. She turns the light. When Jesus was here, he said, you are the light of the world. By that statement, he was giving us a new nature. When we leave here today, you are a light to dark places. And that's why it matters how you use your tongue. If you use your tongue carelessly, you are defaming the name of Jesus. If you are careless in your relationships and you degrade people because you don't like their decisions or you don't like their lives or how they're doing their job, you have dishonored the name of Christ. If you are irresponsible in finances, 
if you're irresponsible and how, if, if you treat your wife or your husband poorly or your children poorly, you are defaming the name of Christ. Everything about our lives has to do with the fact that God has given us a new nature. It has to do with being light. Light reveals. Second, sweep the floor. Jesus today sweeps the earth looking for those who are lost. When you're sweeping, the, you drop something. Maybe you're working on the car and there's a little piece, just a little piece. Maybe it's the, just the right screw you need or the right uh, whatever. And you drop it, it clinks and you go, it's the only one you got. Or, or you know, you, you, you drop something of great value. Maybe you're a coin collector, you know, and it's worth a thousand bucks. You drop the, oh, you get the broom and you start sweeping and you're listening for a little, little clink. Oh, you've, you've heard metal. So we leave here today, we've got our ears to the ground. Better than that, we have our ears to the hearts of people. And we're trying to hear their cries. We're looking at the countenance on faces to see who's downcast, who's troubled. We walk and live in sensitivity. We are sweeping the world in which God has placed us, seeking lost people because that's the nature of Jesus. And we're searching carefully. Search carefully when you leave this place. Search carefully. Who has God put right in your path? Now, you see, um, we're not going to search carefully if we don't think people are intrinsically or have intrinsic worth. In other words, if you drop a nickel, you're probably not going to look very hard. Eh, 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 Just a nickel. But if you are a coin collector, and that's a unique coin, it's worth it. Man, you're not going to stop till you find it. If you drop a diamond ring, you're not going to stop until you find it because it's of great value. And I fear what happens so often, we value people and we work on relationships according to the value we place on them because of all those other factors that take a back seat to the central factor. They've been created in the image of God and are of inestimable worth to him. And because that's how God looks at them, that's how we look at them and engage them as well. Can I challenge you to live this way this week? When you look at a person... Not, not first one, seeing what nationality they are or where they work or what kind of job they're doing or whether you think you like them or not, whether they're attractive or not. But let's have a mindset that immediately thinks, I wonder if he's lost or found. I wonder if she's dead or alive. When we have that kind of heart, we will begin to have the eyes of Jesus who loves to hang out with you and me. Why? Why would he hang out with us? Why would he? There is no reason why Jesus should want to hang out with me. And yet he wants to. He wants to be the centerpiece of our faith community. So let's love him well. And let's love people well in his name. So that every person we, we meet has an opportunity to know what it's like to have life that is truly life. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. And yet while I say that, I know our love is yet too shallow. It's superficial. And I forgive me, Father, for people I pass all the time, for people I fail to wonder about, And teach me and us to know how to engage the world around us. 
And Father, I ask on behalf of this congregation forgiveness when we have not taken community seriously enough, when we have played it safe, when we've uh, put other matters as being more important than engagement with others that we may know you better. Help us to understand, Father, how valuable it is to be placed in a group of people who love one another. So, Father, we want to be yours. Make us better in every way. And put people in our hearts and minds this week, Father, so the lost can be found and the dead made alive. In Jesus' name, amen.